for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Good morning, Lake Forest. Ooh, you were much peppier than the first service. That was good. They were still, they were, the coffee was still getting going. They were, they were a little rough. I am so delighted uh, to be with you all uh, this morning for a lot of reasons, one of which being you guys are actually kind of my, my cool older church big brother. I don't know if you know that, but uh, I was in Richmond uh, working at Hope Church for the last year doing a residency there, and there so goes the saying at Hope that if Presbyterians were a gang, Hope and Lake Forest would totally roll together. So um, it is just, just an absolute delight for me to be here with you all. Uh, as Aaron mentioned, I am the Dean of Spiritual Formation at Montreal College. If my students use my title, I require the spirit fingers. So just, uh, just be aware. Um, but it is just good to be back in the scrappy little setup church vibe. I love that. It's kind of my natural habitat. And so thank you uh, for having me come this morning. There's a couple of things that you should know about me. So I'm one of those people who tends to dwell in extremes. Any, any, any of you people in the house? So I, um, I go big, and then because of that, I usually have to go home afterwards. And if you think I dressed, I do not. Uh, and my career has somewhat reflected that kind of mentality, right? So uh, Aaron shared with me as we were kind of kicking the sermon around what it was going to look like a job satisfaction survey that had some interesting stuff in it. So any guesses as to what job has the highest rate of job satisfaction? Yeah, my man. Say what? Yeah, yeah, a job you really, really like. Yeah, that's a very good question. Feel free to ask questions throughout. I know Presbyterians are afraid of that, but it's a good thing. It's good for you. Get those hands in the air. Loosen them up a little bit. So the highest uh, job satisfaction uh, profession is clergy, pastors. And I get a witness. So we love our jobs. We love what we do. It's a weird job. If you think you know how weird being a pastor is, Lord, it just, it's a weird job, but we love it. Um, any guesses as to the, the bottom of the professional satisfaction barrel? Nope, heard some good guesses, but no, it's, so it's servers and bartenders, okay? So the people who basically have to deal with y'all when you're not here on a Sunday morning. All right, that's the bottom of the barrel. That is the lowest rate of job satisfaction. Any thoughts as to what jobs I've had over the course of my life thus far? Yeah, so I started busboy, server, bartender, pastor, okay? I know it's a weird thing. It's a weird trajectory, but that's how it worked out, Uh, and I'm grateful, and we're going to get into that a little bit more later, Uh, but that weird career path is also why I was just delighted that Aaron asked me to be with you this morning because we're going to talk about work and about what God has to say about work. And this is a question that I love to think about for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of which being, so at Montreat College, our, part of our mission statement is we prepare students for intellectual inquiry, spiritual formation, and preparation for calling and career. So we are deeply committed to developing students' hearts and minds and skill sets for the work that God has for them to do in the world. So a big part of my role is thinking through this question. What does God have to say about work? But this has also been a deeply personal question. Because, all right, so I'm a, I'm a pastor now. I'm called and ordained, is what we call it, to the ministry of Jesus. But what about my, my BP life, right? my before pastoring life, the bartending busboy life? Was that just the waiting room that I had to sit in until the real thing kicked in? Or does God have something to say to that too? Is there maybe more to the story? 
Now, does anybody know the word vocation? Have you heard of it? You can raise your hands. I said, this is good for you. Yeah, that, very good. All right, vocation. So uh, our culture has a lot to say about this word. It's secular use means just that thing you get paid to do. Okay, so you have vocational school, vocational training, vocational counseling. So it's like career technical kind of a thing. All right, so now if you've been rolling in the church crowd, you've maybe heard it used differently. It's actually a very deeply rich theological word. It comes from the Latin term vocare, so to call. It's where we get calling. And if you're from a Catholic background, you've maybe heard this talk about the priesthood. So they're the guys who get a vocation. They're the ones called to ministry, and then there's the rest of us. Now, if you've been rolling with the Protestants, you've maybe heard it used interchangeably with calling. And usually, sometimes when you hear it in a Protestant context, it's talking about being a pastor. You're called to be a pastor. Or you're called to be an engineer digging wells in Liberia. Or you're called to be a missionary doctor in Haiti. Or you're called to be a nonprofit accountant. And those things can certainly be a part of your calling. But I also want to be careful with that second definition. Because it can be easy to assume that your calling, your vocation, is something that you have to go to college for and get a career for and then kind of go in a blatantly ministry, Jesus-y direction. That can sometimes be, I think, how we interpret that. Or, you know, if you're perhaps fortunate enough to stumble upon a burning bush and hear the audible voice of God. But um, that's not all of our stories, though, is it? Because some of us, we never went to college. We either couldn't afford it or we chose a different career path. Or some of us have left our careers, left the workforce to be full-time parents at home. And I do not speak from personal experience, but I've been told that full-time takes on a whole new meaning uh, when you are a mom or a dad. Um, and some of us are still in middle school and high school, and we're just trying to get through. And we're, and you we're asking, well, dang it, am I just sitting here waiting for my life to start? Does my life actually start, my calling start when I begin adulting? All right, some of us are working jobs that we hate, uh, but because our kids need shoes and school supplies. And some of us have jobs that maybe we enjoy, but they're not particularly Jesus-y, ministry-y kind of things, or electricians, or computer techs, or bankers, or lawyers, or, or teachers. And so, did all of us somehow miss the calling bus? Or is vocation maybe a little bit more than we thought? Is vocation maybe something that includes your job, very much includes your job, but it's also a lot more than your job. That is the question we are going to kick around this morning. And we can really boil all of this down to one big question. And that's, does God care about your work? Does God care about all of your work? The stuff that you get paid to do, and then all of the other stuff that you still have to do? And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. And we're going to look at a little bit at how that works. So this morning we're going to jump into Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So Paul is like the number one missionary of the New Testament. He's the man. He took the good news of Jesus all over the place. And he wrote a lot of mail. The man wrote a lot of letters. Um, and so this one we're going to look at is to a city called Corinth. And it, this was a major economic hub, a port city. So I think kind of like New York or Seattle. Uh, and it's dealing with a lot of the Navy town kind of issues that you deal with. And so they got a lot of questions for Paul. So he gets some mail from them. And they're asking some stuff like, what do we do about the guy in our church who's sleeping with his stepmom? Yeah, that's in the Bible. Bet you didn't know that. Aren't you glad that you elders don't have to deal with that problem? So there's that guy. Or uh, what do we do when we have Christians suing other Christians in secular courts? 
Well, what do we do about our sexuality? What does God have to say about sexuality? And so Paul's getting all this stuff. And he writes back the letter to the Corinthians, and that's what we have. And so in the chapter we're going to look at, a lot of their questions are about life situation. So is it better to be married or single as a believer? Is there an A team and a B team? All right, what do you do if you, get, you become a Christian but your spouse doesn't? How do you deal with that? Or is it better to be circumcised or uncircumcised? And really unfortunate if you're going to try and change that situation either direction. Um, but so the underlying question, however, that they're really trying to ask is, does my life situation have to change for me to live out God's calling on my life? Do my circumstances need to be different for me to live into what God has asked me to do? And that's a great question. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And that's the word of the Lord. Um, so before we kind of dive into this, there's an elephant in the room we should talk about a little bit. And that's slavery. Okay, so that's obviously going on here. And that there's something really helpful for you to know about ancient slavery. And that's, it looks very different from slavery in 19th century America. Now, we know, like, to own, for one human being to own another is a profoundly wicked thing. And that's why, over the last several hundred years, Christians have been a significant part of the force that fought to abolish slavery. But slavery in the ancient world is a lot less about racial inferiority and a lot more about economic status. And that really shapes how we look at this passage, because what it's really talking about is options, Okay. So free people had options, financially and otherwise. Slaves didn't. And when we think about it in those kinds of terms, that's not really so different from our world, is it? There are people who have options, and there are people who don't. And what does Paul say to both? Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. But why? Why, does, why is that what he tells us to do? And it's because, my friends, God is not calling you out of your normal, boring, ordinary life. He's entering into it himself to transform it, to make it holy. God is not calling you out of your work. He's going with you back into it to transform it. Now, it's easy to kind of buy into that and when you're thinking, oh, you know, being a pastor, that, he, that could be made sort of holy, right? You can, you can see that. Though, let me tell you, it's a lot harder than you might think. That's, that's a weird job. Um, but where I really started to see this play out, where I really first le started learning about this, it wasn't in the church, it wasn't in the seminary, it wasn't in the mission field, it was in a bar. So my, uh, my first job out of college was driving a bar cart for a country club. I think we've got her up there. There's my girl. That's Betty. <laughs> Betty the bar cart. As you can see, exactly what it sounds like. Full bar, stapled right onto the side. Uh, mixed up cocktails, served them in styrofoam. It was classy. Uh, and it was awesome. I loved it. I loved that weird job. 
And that's also where I really started to fall in love with the restaurant industry. Do we have any restaurant people in the house? We're just a crazy breed all our own. You know, name it and claim it. I love that world, but it's, it's something else. And so when I went to seminary, I vowed that I was going to get a job at the sketchiest, most disreputable place I could find just to stay sane amidst all those straight-laced seminarians. Can I get a witness? And so, so I found myself working in an Italian jazz bar in Boston. It's about as New England as it gets for a guy named Frank. I don't know, I don't think Frank was mafia, but like there's just enough ambiguity. I wasn't really sure, and I'm still not. And I just, you know, they're just questions you don't ask. Um, and so when I first started, when I first started this job, I, I started as a busboy. I left as a bartender by the time I left Boston, but started as busboy girl, as the case may be. And there aren't a lot of things less glamorous in life. Can I get a witness? Anybody who's done that job? Yeah, it's something else. I mean, well, I mean, just to kind of prove my point. So all of the chefs at our Italian restaurant were Guatemalan, obviously. <laughs> um, and so... The, my Guatemalan friends, are one family, they were believers, incidentally, kind of sidebar, loved those guys, and they spent a lot of time in this nasty inferno basement doing all the, the food prep, and that basement had a bug problem, okay? And so the, the solution to that was the sticky fly trap things, you know what I'm talking about, and so they hang them from the ceiling, okay? There are several issues with this. One, low ceilings. <laughs> Two, short Guatemalans, they're just kind of small guys. And three is bun awareness. If you're not familiar with that, um, to every working woman with long hair, you, you're going to know what I'm saying, right? So you, when your hair situation needs to be out of the way, best solution is power bun, right at the top, right? Now, but when you have the power bun, you're a few inches taller, so you need some bun awareness. Otherwise, things like low-hanging tree branches and car doors, you, you have issues, so you need bun awareness. And so when you have a combination of low ceilings and short Guatemalans and a lack of bun awareness, what happens is that power bun gets stuck in the horrible, vile, bug-covered death thing. And then you start yelling and shouting really un-Jesus-like words in English and Spanish because you got to be sure that everybody understands exactly how you feel. And in that moment, along with a lot of other moments in that job, I found myself asking, what am I doing here? How long do I have to do this? When am I, is my life going to start? When is my real life going to start? When is my calling going to kick in? When am I going to really get to do important work in the world? What am I doing here? And that is the question of the heart that Paul's getting at in our text today. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can get in your freedom, do it. But Paul... I hate my job. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay in this normal, boring, ordinary job. I don't want to be stuck in school and keep having to go to class and do homework. I want to do something important in the world. I want to go to some cool, far-off place. I want to do epic Jesus-y work. Why do I have to stay here? When do I get to do something important? But what Paul is saying is you are. You are doing something important. You are doing kingdom work right now. Because Jesus came to redeem the whole world. And that whole world includes your kitchen or your classroom and your cubicle, the homework that you do, the electrical systems that you work on, the accounts you're responsible for, those crude coworkers you're around, those obnoxious classmates, your students, your teachers, your children, your marriage. It all belongs to Jesus. Which means that you are exactly where he wants you to be. 
Are you short on options? Are you working a job you just hate? Are you just scraping by paycheck to paycheck? Are you up to your eyeballs in debt? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Paul says. Because if you are living a life that is obedient to Jesus, right now, you are living out your calling, your vocation, what God has asked you to do. Martin Luther is a big history crush of mine. I am just a nerd in the first degree. Any nerds in the house? You own that, you name it, and you claim it. Um, and this is what he has to say about that. How is it possible that you are not called? You've always been in some state or station. You've always been a husband or a wife, a boy or girl or servant. Picture before you the humblest estate. Are you a husband and you think you have not enough to do in that sphere to care for your wife and children and domestics and property so that all may be obedient to God and you do no one any harm? Yeah, if you had five heads and ten hands, even then you would be too weak for your tasks, that you would never dare to think of making a pilgrimage or doing any kind of saintly work. So what Martin Luther is saying here is, you've got enough to do as it is. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a missionary or a nonprofit CEO, though that might be what you are called to do. But you don't need to do those things to live out the calling of God. You've got plenty to do already. It's already too much. And God calls you to himself. That is what your calling really comes down to. And if you are close to him, then you are living out your calling. Because walking closely with Jesus will transform how you parent, how you teach, do your homework, practice your sport, how you interact with clients, how you vacuum floors or file tax returns, or whatever other work that you do. Now, it's really worth taking a look at the kind of the stipulation that Paul adds. So if we'll look at the verse, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. And that's a really important part of this sentence, right? Because Paul's not just telling you to be masochistic about this, right? To stay in a job or a situation that you absolutely despise for the rest of your life just because. That's, that's, not, that's not what we're about. If you can gain your freedom, do it. If you have the chance as the first person in your family to go to college, take it. If you are offered a promotion at work, go for it. If you can make a career change into something that is more life-giving and rewarding for you, do it. Make it happen. You are not trapped in the situation that you were in when God called you. But a change in circumstances does not place you any nearer to God's will. Because your, his call in your life is right here, right now, exactly as you are. So, let's look at the rest, the rest of what he has for us. For the one who is a slave and called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So if Jesus has called you during a situation in your life when you have no options, remember this. You are free in Christ. You are free in Christ. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And for freedom, Christ has set you free. So if you feel trapped in a job you just hate, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs, if you're scraping by paycheck to paycheck, for freedom, Christ has set you free. And that freedom of your soul is going to start to impact other areas of your life. Because you're going to see that job or that school or that cubicle that you just despise with more compassionate eyes, the way Jesus sees it. Or you're going to start to develop habits of prayer, or maybe habits of budgeting, 
Third, they're going to lead you into some financial freedom. Jesus has come to set you free. And one commentator says it like this. You lead such a life as will make slavery impossible. Be so noble, so grand, so majestic, that you will make it felt that you are not a slave in reality, whatever you may be in name. But Paul's not just talking to the people without options, is he? He's also talking to y'all who do have options. Because similarly, the one who was free when called as Christ's slave, you were bought at a price, do not become slaves of human beings. Have you been successful in your career? Do you love your job? Are you, do you have the financial freedom to take vacations in beautiful parts of the world? Those are wonderful things. Those are good things. But remember, 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 you are not the master of your own life. Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is Lord, no matter what your business cards or what your bank accounts say. And do not get sucked into the vortex of slavery, to the opinions of your colleagues, to the allure of fancy cars, or the security of stockpiling wealth, or the seduction of power. Jesus is your Lord. And he tells us really clearly in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew that you cannot serve both God and money. So never forget who your real boss is, or you are going to get sucked into a slavery that you are not going to want to be in. The instructions to the minimum wage kitchen worker and the middle school student are the same instructions for you, white-collar professional. Brothers and sisters, each person is responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So, are you a white-collar professional with wealth and opportunity and probably a whole lot of stress? Jesus calls you to himself. So you bring your career, and your clients, and your ambitions, your wealth, your stress, your calendar, your hopes. You lay them all at Jesus' feet and you let him transform them. Are you a single parent on a minimum wage paycheck trying to support a toddler? Jesus calls you to himself. So you bring your financial anxieties, your stress, the, the frustrations with, your, with these obnoxious customers, your burnt-out dreams, your anxiety over the future of your toddler, you bring all that and you lay it right at Jesus' feet and you let him transform all of it. Are you an eighth grader? You're about to go into high school? Jesus calls you to himself. So you bring your, your friend groups, you bring your family, you bring your homework, the drama and the bullies that you deal with, your Instagram and your Snapchat accounts, the future hopes. You leave all that stuff at Jesus' feet, and you let him transform them. If you have everything, come. If you have nothing, come. God wants you. God wants all of you. God wants to redeem everything, your work, your relationships, your home, your office, your school, your failures, your future, your whole life. God wants it all. So I mentioned earlier that... Um, I'm a pastor now in our denomination, so I have the letters R-E-V in front of my name, which is still kind of a weird thing. I haven't really gotten used to that. Um, I'm called and ordained right, to the ministry of Jesus, but I had to learn a really, really important lesson about what the ministry of Jesus really looks like. And that's a lesson that, once again, I had to learn back in a bar. So, so Frank, my, my mafioso, maybe mafioso boss, and his family just really became kind of my own family, and I'm from, the, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, and so Boston was a long ways from home, and they just took me in. I spent Thanksgiving with them and all the Sicilian relatives. That's a different story for a different sermon. 
It was awesome, and there's no going back. I told first service, so I will tell you, there's a thing called cannoli pie, where it's a pie crust with just cannoli cream in it. Like, it's just another excuse to eat cannoli filling. I mean, it's just awesome. To spend Thanksgiving with them, they came to my seminary graduation. They hosted my seminary party, which was as awesome as you would expect it to be. They hosted my ordination party. I spent New Year's, so they just really were my own family. And the part of the story that I've left out is Frank is, quote-unquote, his words, an evangelistic atheist. Yeah, uh, because, as the story goes, uh, he lost his four-year-old daughter to a rare blood disorder about 15 years ago. And he just never recovered. He could just never forgive God. And this family has just drunk very deeply of suffering and of loss and have been really burned by the church. And I have a sneaking suspicion that there's maybe some people in this room who know what that feels like. And so I found myself as just this kind of idiotic, inexperienced seminary student dropped in this situation. Uh, that I really, in a lot of ways, was not remotely qualified to be in, but oh my gosh, what the gospel can do. Uh, I watched what happens when you pull the gospel out of the library and drop it into a place like that. Because here's what I, I discovered. When you start talking about the good news of Jesus and at seminary or in kind of any religious-y kind of a, a setting, it's like trying to drive a race car in a parking lot. That's just not the place where it can do its thing. But man, you unleash the gospel in a jazz bar that's full of hurting and desperate people, you better buckle up because it's going to do amazing, amazing stuff. My calling to that bar for that season was no less holy than my call to the ministry right now. If anything, that's what made me a pastor because that's when I really started to believe that the good news of Jesus actually has power, actually does transform the darkest places in life. So, wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever your work may be, you are not in the waiting room of your calling. You have been plunged into the deep end of a desperate and hurting and broken world that needs Jesus right now. That is the highest calling there is, to bring his good news. So do it. That's my parting shot to you. Do it. Brothers and sisters, each person is responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Because God cares about your work. He cares about all of your work. And that is how he will use you to complete his redemption of his world. So go about, go about that work, whatever it may be, in his name and for his glory. Let me pray for us.